And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 310 of This Old Marketing, recorded on February 10th, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, well, and a guy who definitely didn't get snubbed for this year's Oscar nominations, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? Did you did you watch the Oscar nominations? Uh, I did not, but I did read up on some. And what's interesting, what is it? The Power of the Dog? Was yeah. the the number one? I start. I watched that, that for a half hour, and I had trouble getting through it. Now I'm going to give it another chance. I'm not done with it. Okay, but that is an interesting. It's just you know, did it's a you, western. It's a, did you, you know. see the Trevor Noah Daily Show? No, <laughs> a couple of days Trevor ago. Noah, He's so funny. He 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 came out and he went. He goes, I was really impressed with this year's Oscar nominees. You know, there was the woman who sat on the bed and ate a thing and the kid in the window who looked at another thing. And it's like he's making fun of all the titles of these movies. It's like, you know, the boy in the chair who watched a dog. (laughs) Yeah, that that is. What's the one with isn't the one with Amy Adams, like the woman looking out the window at the thing in the place? I mean, it's like really it's like 20 words long. Right. It's like the woman looking out the window at something in her lawn. <laughs> you know what happened? No, the, you know what they're doing? They're like, okay, well, we don't have all this media blitz behind it. There's not previews in the theaters. So let's SEO the crap out of this thing. <laughs> we'll right. put in every That's keyword. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, if somebody's typing into, you know, in a Netflix or Roku, they're going to come up with, oh, I want to watch shows about women in window, right. windows, mysteries, <laughs> exactly. horrors. <laughs> things with kids and you know whatever like what uh, what do we do? what is this where we've gone with movies it, is the now we've seo yeah we've seo optimized SEO the title and- of movies <laughs> that's funny make sure to put that h1 tag in front of the uh, title of your oscar nominated film Exactly. It's you know what I get the whole thing, and I like the fact. I mean, you and I talked about this five years ago that this was going to be a regular thing where you had Hulu creating their own movies and Netflix. And at the time when we talked about it, it seemed really far out there. And then here yeah. we are. Almost all the movies are coming from you know Amazon, or, or all the the nominations are from Amazon or HBO Max or or Roku or whatever the case is. It, what amazes just, me is there is just no way to keep up. I mean, there is just you well, know, Netflix does at least a show a day, sometimes two. It's unbelievable. So. I, and, you know, like I'm watching this show right now, which you would love, by the way. Uh, it's a show called Vigil. Um, okay. And it's like, you've never heard of it, right? Never heard of it. Never nope. heard of it. I, I hadn't heard, heard of it, it either until uh, literally last weekend when a friend of mine emailed me out of the blue and said, you've got to watch this show called Vigil. It's been out for a while. Um, is this and Netflix? What, what is it? What are we it's talking on, about? Uh, well, it's this, this is part of the punchline, I suppose. It's on Peacock. Um, and uh, Right, exactly. Um, but it's really good. It's, it's basically one of those murder mysteries, um, but it's set on the... Uh, it's basically set in Scotland... And uh, the uh, a Trident nuclear submarine. So basically, the, the the premise is a 
female detective uh, gets a case, a murder case, and has to go aboard this nuclear submarine that's on patrol, so literally can't surface for weeks, but has to, you know, go on patrol. So it's a little like a cross between, you know, a murder mystery and Hunt for Red October. It's it's just fabulous. It's really really good. So, if, but it's if like Denzel you Washington was in it. I would things. watch it. If Denzel was in it, I'm watching it right. You know who's in but it? It doesn't well, sound like Denzel's in it. And Denzel's definitely not in and it. Sean it is, Connery's not in it. And Sean Connery's definitely not in it. You know is who's Alec in it? Is Leslie, in it? No, no, it's Leslie Rose. Leslie Rose from the Game of Thrones, right? You know, you know, you you know nothing, Jon Snow. She's she's in it. Yeah. Oh no no, it was. Uh, I'm sorry, Hunt for Red October. That is Sean Connery, right? No, Hunt for Red October is Alec Baldwin. Okay. And, and Sean which, Connery. Which yes, one's the yeah. one? No, wait. Yeah, and and Sean right. Connery. Yeah, I, got, he, I got my submarine shows mixed up. Which one's one the one with Denzel only. and uh, One Gene ping, Hackman. mister. One ping no. only. That's Hunt for Red October, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which yeah. one is the one? Yes, I got that one. Alec Baldwin, Sean Connery. That's yes. one. What's Denzel? And Denzel Gene is uh, Gene Hackman is... Um, uh, that's God. the one I'm, I was thinking of. Yeah, that's that's basically where they're they can't launch the missile, and then he yes. gets charged with. Uh, There's whole mutiny on the ship and the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. So so when I hear the hunt for Red October, Crimson Tide, I actually Crimson think, Tide is the name of that movie. Okay. So when I think when you said that, I'm like, oh, that's a star-studded show with Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman. That's where my mind goes. I'm useless. Yeah, but back well, that to your would be, point. Uh, yes, my <laughs> point being that there's a lot of TV shows to watch. <laughs> is all. So does that does that mean it is an amazing time to be a content creator? It absolutely the is. Yeah, platforms are so hungry for amazing shows. It, it's that- it's it absolutely yes, and I'll and I'll and I'll I have a data point for that, which is uh, so I have a lot of friends here in Hollywood who work in the business. And, you know, we talked even on the show about there's a there's training now and Netflix is funding this training about how to write great, you know, scripts for Netflix and how to pitch it and how to get it financed and all that kind of stuff. Um, He just the guy who I, I got that story from just posted out that Netflix next year or this year, 2022, yeah, will produce, I think, 86 movies. 86 um and he's like you know start writing your scripts folks because you know this it it has never been more opportune 86 used to be the total number of films produced by the hollywood studio system full stop you know it was usually less than 100 and now that's so if you look at all studio yeah so one studio i'm under the assumption then that something like 500 total movies on all platforms for one year is probably the number right Probably what it's, we're looking. At. I, I don't know what the total number is, but it's. I'm sure it's in the uh, in the probably in the 500 range would be my yeah, guess. Yeah, you would think so. And it's then there's all the crazy. ones that are yeah, and all the movies that are distributed directly through their yeah. own outlets. Yeah. Um, wow, it's it's such a great time too. I feel like we're a part of something special, and we don't quite have it all figured out. But there's just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, that's well, there's a lot of noise too. There was a yeah, writer. There's a, yeah, that's a lot of noise as well, right? It so is a lot of noise. It's it's hard to break through, like a, like a, like that show, uh, you know, that vigil show, which is you know, uh, fantastic. You know, it's like uh, you know, like 
10 people have seen it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where success won't be measured by, you know, blockbusters, you know, anymore. You know, there, I mean, the number of movies that you're going to have, you know, remember back in the day, like when you and I were growing up in the 80s and early 90s, you know, any given year would have, I don't know, a dozen, maybe 10 like blockbuster releases, yeah. right? There was the spring blockbuster time frame, then there was the 4th of July, you know, sort of summer blockbusters that would get released and there'd be three or four movies and three or four movies. And then there was always the Christmas sort of blockbuster release time. So any at any given year, you'd have, you know, 10 or 12. Now, one, right? Maybe. Like Spider-Man is going to be it for, you know, the last year. And otherwise, it's sort of like there's one giant blockbuster and kind of, everybody else you know that, so that's the long, of, yeah you have more of the long tail it seems right right much more of the long tail and much fewer of the the sort of big bets that they're making i yeah. guess yeah that i well i like that but but i'm but i also love to get my popcorn and go sit down to a big old <laughs> blockbuster movie. yeah because you mean, you could basically you, june july august you knew that you had you know, and and of course on right. Christmas too. That's right. You, That's right. You, you had three or four absolutely. movies you could go see. Yeah, that you had to go see. Oh man, I'll tell you, we're old. I feel yeah. Like we we've seen all. Um, when I I did a podcast interview this morning, and they were asking me how long I've been in the industry, and I said twenty three. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> 23 years. Yeah. What wait till that, wait till there's a three in front of that number. That's oh, that's yeah. yeah. Well, that's. I'll always yeah. be catching up to you, sir. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right. Anyways, anything else we need to talk about before we get well, into you know, meaningful I'll, I'll, news? I'll mention this because I just think it's a nice segue into what we were talking about, right? So with where we are, you know, this weekend is, of course, the Super Bowl. And uh, we also have, at the moment, um, the Olympics going on. Yes. And I'll get to this later in my rant, but when I talk about, you know, TV and media and all that kind of stuff. But... It's interesting. What's fascinating to me is nobody, and I mean nobody, is watching the Olympics. It's just it's it's off forty three percent. Viewership of the Olympics is off forty three percent from last year, which was already low. I mean, it's crazy that no is nobody this prime cares. time. This is the prime. Is this? I mean, how are this, they measuring? I I totally agree. Prime with you, time. By the way, yeah, opening sure ceremonies. Right. Opening ceremonies, which opening is usually ceremonies. one of the okay. largest and biggest. Uh, viewership uh, nights of the Olympics was off 43%. Yeah. If it wasn't for like Nathan Chen and Chloe Kim and Sean White, I don't think that you would even, most people would know that there were opening ceremonies. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't even know that the Olympics are going on. And by the way, there's all sorts of things with, you know, you know, people getting, you know, disqualified and uh it's just it's just seems like it's a big mess it's like it seems like every other headline is you know either the olympic viewership is off or somebody's getting dq'd and it's like i don't it's it's crazy it's like i i think the olympics have 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 totally sort of i i wonder if we have just you know like we were just talking about with blockbuster movies i wonder if we've sort of moved on from the olympics it's you know we've just we just don't care anymore well, I mean, when you and I so when you and I were growing up, I mean, I I watched a, almost the entire 1984 Olympics. I remember oh them gosh, really, really crazy. well. Yeah, and they were in Los Angeles that year. Yep, and they were on all the time. And I had four other choices. 
I had ABC, NBC, CBS, and local WAB 43 where I watched the Cleveland Indians play. Right. That's it. So, you know, I was going outside playing with friends. I'd come in and I'd watch the Olympics. We'd watch, the whole family would watch the Olympics. So, but today, as we've talked about many times, as we get our information, everyone's got their own set of informational choices that they have. And you watch your different stuff. And sometimes there's overlap, but most of the time there's not. Yeah. And, and Olympus just gets set to the side. You have to really make it a point. And, and let's put it, and let's put it out there as well. I mean, if you if you really want to watch the Olympics, you probably have to get Peacock. If you have something like Hulu with live TV or Sling with, or you still have cable, great. You can get NBC and USA and some other things. But it, it's not – a lot of people don't even have those stations anymore. A lot of people that I know have Netflix, Amazon Prime. And Apple maybe or HBO Max, and they don't they don't have live TV anymore. So <laughs> it's just nuts. Yeah, it is like cra- in bizarre it is crazy. world. It's it is yeah. it is very weird. Yeah, I just you know, and I as the, certainly the coverage uh, methods have I've sir I'm sure uh, contributed to that. You know, because it's now it's like. It's hard to know what's on when and where and how they're going to cover it. And it's not been good. I mean, we talked the last time the Olympics were on. I remember distinctly us talking on the show about how awful the coverage was. Um, and it just was unwatchable because they were trying to cover like, uh, you know, this was the Summer Olympics. And we were we were talking about, you know, how they would try and jump in only for the exciting parts. So they were trying to jump into each individual event and sort of jumping around in the, in the, yeah. um, in the primetime coverage. And it was just like, it was just unwatchable. Right. You know, so well, you'd it watch, can't do, it's hard to do that now though, because if you know, you were watching China, it's first thing in the morning. If you're watching yeah, primetime in the right. U S yeah. So I think the other big thing, and then we'll get onto the news here that I think we're discounting a little bit is we were watching some, we were watching Chloe Kim when her, um, with the snowboarding gold medal, I don't know what the name of the event is, but you know, one the the where they're in the pike thing and they're jump, they're going real high or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can't do it. It looks amazing. Whatever they were doing, the commercials are bothersome. It's very they very are. difficult when you've gotten used to no commercials and no interruptions to sit there. Even when they do the picture in picture thing, which I think is even worse because I can't see what's going on because it's such a small image. I, it's an. They've got to figure out that issue because people are people just switch. They're like, I'm not going to sit through another commercial, especially when it's the same progressive commercial I've seen 72 times. Yeah, I don't need it. <laughs> right. At least with yeah. the Super Bowl coming up, you know, you and I love to watch the ads because generally there's some new stuff. Although most of that's wrecked now because you see them all ahead of time, anyways. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and and Finn, yes, let's get to, let's get to our let's get to our show here, um, and and sure. and once again we avoided talking about football, which is always good for those of the, the, those of you in the Europe. Okay, let's just pre- let's do, okay, just quick okay. predicting. What's your score prediction? Oh, I have it. I I can tell you exactly because I I'm in a pool and I literally just did it. Thirty-one twenty-seven Rams. Thirty-one twenty-seven Rams. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go. I think the Rams are going to win as well. I'm going to say 30 to 15. I'd ah, like to see wow. it closer. Rams yeah, win. I, th- I think it's going to be close. I, 
I would not be surprised if the Bengals win. They are a tenacious team, and the, I think the Rams have more talent. And then I'm holding. I'm, I'm really torn about the Odell Beckham thing. It's it's really. I want I know. him to get a ring. I like that he owns a CryptoPunk, but <laughs> the fact that he's playing so well now from what he was doing in Cleveland, it just bothers me. Yeah, I, I can see why it would. I can see why it would. All right, let's get on to our show. What we're going to talk about today is some fun stuff. We have a little fun st- uh, show. Um, we're going to start by, yeah, we're going to talk a little more about Joe Rogan, of course, because we have to. That's just the law. I think it's a contractual agreement now. We have I think our ratings are up gods. because of it. Our ratings are up. So we're <laughs> going to leverage the Joe Rogan thing. That's forever. right. So we'll talk about Joe Rogan and Spotify and their terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week that they had last week. Um, and uh, BuzzFeed apparently docks to the real people behind Board Ape Yacht Club. So we'll talk about when you should, could, need to come out from behind your avatar, if ever, these days. We'll talk a little bit about Amazon and Meta and how they're prepped uh, with the friends at the Goog uh, to absorb more than 50% of the advertising dollars uh, this year. And we may get to, if we get time, to talk about the metaverse and how it's already starting to be expressed by some brands. Brands are building their owned virtual worlds, um, a new generation of owned media, if you will. I'm going to rant. I'm going to go on a bit of an epic rant. I'm going to just tell you and warn you right now on Facebook, identity management, third-party cookies, and what the measurement of marketing really means. Uh, And Joe's going to talk about, shocker here, NFTs. Uh, the and intellectual property <laughs> and community and you know nfts um so a fully fully packed show that we have um shall we get to it maybe that's the, your next book should be called epic marketing rant epic marketing I mean, rant oh that's there's something there one. yeah there's something there because it solely fits you i mean that's that's basically your brand uh, is it <laughs> but is it? Is it really? Uh, I, I'm not sure that know. that's true. Well, but it's, it could uh, be. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, I'm not sure that it is, but I'll you take could it. be the you could be the likable Mark Ritson. Oh, good lord! No, stop! Stop that immediately. <laughs> okay, likable. We're going Mark way Ritson. too far down yeah. the chain now. All right, let's okay. uh, let's talk some. Let's Joe Rogan. I, I missed yeah, talking we, about Joe Rogan. Let's do this. Of course you did. Um, and so the article that we'll link to uh, is a really interesting article. By the way, you introduced me to this site, this trapital.co. Dan Runcie do you, do you is know this? amazing. Yes. He's Dan is great. Really, he's he, really good. I so mean, this is tra- I got, Trapital. Yeah, tra- just so people know, Trapital by Dan Runcie. Dan covers the music scene, music content creation scene better than anyone else okay. I know. It's great stuff. It's just great. Um Anyway, I, I went down the rat hole of his whole sort of oeuvre, as it were, um, and just, you know, he, I love that he calls his posts essays. Um, it, it's just great. Anyway, get off on a, on a bit of a rave there, but um, the, the, our, the essay that he actually uh, wrote is called Spotify and the Neutral Platform Myth, and that's what we'll link to in the show notes to sort of tease up our discussion here. Um, yeah, Rogan and Spotify had a bad week. Um, CEO Daniel Elk came out uh, in to address the big issue because, of course, what happened 
We saw Rogan, somebody went out and did sort of, you know, as we said last week and we predicted, you know, somebody went and listened to the 11 billion hours of Joe Rogan and found oh, other things, um, including use of the N-word, including some really just awful things. And basically now Rogan has had to come out and apologize again. Um, and... Daniel Elk basically came out and did the most idiotic thing that a, a CEO can do, which is to basically whine about censorship and you will not silence us and we're a platform, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, you know, uh, really just had a bad week in terms of PR, et cetera, et cetera. And more people have left the platform. The interesting thing is, is that this article, which I would love to just chat about, really talks sure. a lot about the idea of the platform, the neutral platform versus media company idea. And I think that's the center of our discussion, really, which is, and one of the points that he makes, and, and when you, you know, sort of sent this essay over, you had sort of uh, spoken to it, which is, of all the people to leave, it's interesting because if artists like Taylor Swift or Adele, which if they had left Spotify, would it have created a bigger you know, and why haven't they said anything, right? There's sort of yep. an implicit question of like, where are the bigger, you know, you've got a lot of independent artists, a lot of older artists and those kinds of things that aren't nearly as part of the zeitgeist right now. But if big artists, you know, were to say something, what would actually, would, would things actually change or do they need to change? What, what do you think about this? Well, this, I, I that's what I... <laughs> I was, so I was reading this great, great essay, as you said. He points out that Neil Young's decision is very different because he said his chart-topping days are over. That's what Dan right. goes into here. That's right. And he already sold off half his catalog, which we already talked about on this show. But he said if somebody like a Taylor Swift or an Adele, who has the majority, let's say the majority of their upside years still to come, that is a big deal. And nobody, everyone that's left, you know, they're... You know, whatever. I think we mentioned 70s stars mostly, 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, you had Buffalo, Springfield, and, and basically everyone connected with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. <laughs> it's basically left the platform. Um, so I would have, I, I, I would have wondered what would have happened with that. The other thing is, I finally got a chance to listen to you. You told me to, and I, I just didn't have a chance to before, but I listened to the beginning of. Professor Scott Galloway's podcast from last week. Right. And I think that it's everyone should listen to that. It's not only just his personal issues that he went through trying to decide whether to leave the platform. It's really important where we think about, and we've talked about this with with all of them, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, they're all media companies. And with media companies, you have a responsibility and Spotify's playing this, oh no, platform is different. And because of we're licensing Joe Rogan stuff versus owning it, and the article talks about that at, at some length. Like if it was Bill Simmons, which they own, uh, you know, if it was uh, The Ringer, which they own, or, or Gimlet, which they own, and they had editorial control, would it be different? You'd like to say they probably would treat it differently, but I don't think it's different. I mean, they, it's still on their platform. They still are a media company. And that's where, if you go back to what Prof G said, which is really important, and Kara Swisher is, as well on the, the Pivot podcast, yeah. it, it, you're not talking about canceling 
What we're talking about here is simple fact-checking that needs to be done once you get to a certain level. And you talked about this last week, which right. is really important. Like we, You get to a certain level of audience, you become a big media company, you have to hire fact-checkers. If, it, if there's actually truth to be had, which on all these issues there seems to be some truth that you can find out there. So I, I think that more processes will come in place. I think that you know, we've had some friends send us notes that say, stick a, stick a fork in Spotify. I want to get your take on this. Stick a fork in Spotify. I think this will do nothing to Spotify's long-term aspirations. I, I, but I no, do see I, them putting in new processes with all of their big names. Because why? Because they're a media company, as we all are. And we all have to – it's like if we don't put these things into place, it's like yelling fire in a crowded theater. If we don't do this, like we have to take this seriously. So I really enjoyed that take. I don't know if you had a opinion on that. I, you know, I, 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 well, I enjoyed his take very, very much. I, you know, and 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 agree with yours, sort of, you know, your your summary of it as well. And and I, my take on Spotify is, you know, there's what you know, there's sort of the what I think they should do and what I think they will do, and and. What I think they will do is, uh, you know, as looking at the current behavior of the CEO and the company, I think they're riding this out. I think they're they've they've said, you know what, we're this is a storm, and we're just gonna we're gonna double down, triple down, quadruple down, and just you know we're gonna react as we can react and do the things that we need to do. And you know, I mean, I think this is. Truly, I have I have little beef with Rogan on this, right? Because I think he's, you know, he's, you know, I think that the aw shuck stuff is a little disingenuous. So to be clear, right? You know, he he knew what he was doing here. He knew, you know, and he knew why he was doing it. Um, you know, like any good color commentator, which is kind of what he is, and and. Big hat tip to those who on Twitter who corrected us when I said he was a UFC fighter. He's a commentator. Yes, he's a color commentator and 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 knows knows how to create a good show, right? He knows how to create sure. a good, you know, and he's a comedian at the end of the day. And so totally get that. And so but other than that, he's you know, he's been rather trite about the whole thing and said, Okay, I'm there or contrite, I should say, about the whole thing and 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 I take him at his word on that. But Spotify has just, you know, has just proven time and time again that they, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. And the whole whiny, you know, we're a platform, don't silence us, you know, First Amendment stuff is just, you know, it's just bullshit. Um, and, but I think they're doubling down. I think they're doubling down and they're just going to ride this storm out. So I, I, I agree with you. This is not going to hurt them in the end of the day. There are so many other challenges, many other challenges to their core business model that are, that are more pressing that actually will affect the stock price more than what happens to Joe Rogan, whether he gets eventually kicked off and some, you know, somebody finds something that is just so onerous that they have no choice or that, you know, he can, you know, he basically cleans up his act and becomes, you know, the, the, the person that they thought he might be. I think in the long run, what this discussion does is actually add to the whole, you know the the sort of ecosystem of what we're talking about here, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Spotify, 
or what's a media company versus a you know versus a platform and this among other things i think will eventually get sorted out in legislation i think it's going to have to and at that i think is probably the best outcome here is is that we finally put some definition around this around what it means to actually be a platform versus what it means to be a media company and the level of editorial responsibility associated with that. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. You know, it's interesting. It's a good point. Uh, I forgot where I saw this, but somebody was talking about the importance of the RSS feed, the podcast RSS feed. And if you're a content creator, you control your feed. You can control who that's distributes right. it, yep. who doesn't. Uh, and the point that the person was making was that Joe Rogan, as a content creator, took away his content creator's license because he no longer controls his RSS. And Spotify <laughs> is you a know, great point. It's yeah, great isn't point. it? So it's just like it's just like we're a media company, but I can't control my email list. Same thing. Yeah. And uh, so so he he almost just took away. <laughs> Took away everything he had as a content creator because Spotify is scrubbed. I think it was something like, I saw fifty-eight episodes scrubbed. Maybe I've more than more, that. I've heard more than a hundred. Yeah, I've okay, heard more great. than a hundred. So, I, so yeah. great. So, so he's put all all his content, and because he is on Sp- Spotify's platform or media publishing capability, he loses that. He loses all that content, and Spotify can continue to control that. I'm not saying they shouldn't. They bought the hundred million dollar rights to it. So they, you know, he basically gave up those rights. But that's the thing you have to keep in mind as a creator where podcasting is one of those, you know, it's not, it's sort of in the middle. It's not an email list and it's not on Facebook. So you have some control over it. You can decide where to distribute it. But once you sign on with one of these networks, good or bad, you're, I mean, you lose control over that. You're signing your content away for somebody else to make decisions. Right. I'm not saying all you shouldn't of it. do that. And all of it, right? That's the that's the real key here is, is that- The back catalog as well. He, yeah. Right. He sold his back catalog as well, which is, that's, I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective before, but that's a really interesting perspective, which is very much like a, like a music artist. You know, you're, you're not just selling your future performances and your future endeavors. Like, you know, when a, when a, when a record artist, like a musical artist, signs with a new label they don't they're not selling their previous albums right they're not selling their previous stuff um but when a podcaster like joe rogan sells he's not only selling his future releases he's selling his entire back catalog to spotify as well yeah um at least in the deal that seems to have been made here i mean of course you could probably negotiate some of that i suppose but but it's that's a very, very interesting point because now they have the ability to go back and go, these things never existed. You know, they basically go out and take it out of existence because it's no longer available. Now, people may have downloaded their own copy of it from YouTube or wherever. Sure, and but, I'm sure you could still get it, but Yeah, you but, may you may have it on your you know archive, but that but for all intents and purposes, it now ceases to exist out there. And so that's fascinating actually to think about. But again, I mean, if you think about it from a creator standpoint and doing these deals, so he got whatever, his $100 million, he got, in essence, for limiting distribution. Just like you would do a deal with Apple or Amazon, you're saying, I don't want it everywhere. I don't want to grow my audience necessarily. I, I will give, you know, you give me the $100 million and it's going to be on this platform. Now, Spotify is a huge platform, but 
this article goes through and I think covers this the right way. If Joe Rogan somehow left the platform and went back to on all, you know, on Apple and Stitcher and every and SoundCloud and YouTube and everywhere else, his audience would grow. So he's take he's getting the revenue for an audience hit. Right. So it's just and and now and now he has less to work with and now he's under I would imagine if you're Joe Rogan which I get the whole apology thing. I mean, that's textbook PR. That's how you do it. You apologize. But I would imagine he's like, man, if I was still on my own, I wouldn't have to do any of this. You wouldn't have saw any of those things happen in the order that they did. Because you had a company coming down. Well, they might. Big public company. Yeah. Maybe. They might. Maybe, but maybe not. Because are you kidding me? He didn't get a call from the Spotify CEO saying, oh, my God, we just lost X number of billion off our market cap. And you better get out there and do a 10-minute apology, contrition. But if, if he's not I'll with bet Spotify, he didn't. that doesn't I'll happen bet he the way didn't. it happens. I'll bet that phone call went more like this. Like, Joe, we're so sorry that this is happening to you. We love you. You're such a great part of the you know key assets of Spotify. And we really believe in you. And just know that we're going to stick up for you. And you do what you think is right, buddy. I think that's the way that phone call went. To me, I, based on what I've seen coming out of Daniel Elk and the Spotify team in yeah. their response, I don't think they pushed him out to, to do a, you know, I think they coordinated it. I think the PR people called each other and coordinated the release of these things, but I don't think they told him what to say. I, I don't, it doesn't might, feel yeah, that who way. Who knows? This is all conjecture. We don't know. But, <clears> I, yeah. but, but it's not entire, these decisions are not up to the creator anymore. Agree because he signed totally those away, right? Well, that and that and the and and to your very good point, the basically he didn't. You know, I'm going to also assume that following your line of thinking here, he didn't go. Yeah, we should delete episode number seventy two, number fifty seven, uh, thirty six. You know, basically, Spotify came to him and said, "We've run the scanner over your X number of episodes, and we're going to delete these hundred and you know." You know, just just to let you know, <laughs> not yeah. not asking your permission, just to let you know, we're going to delete these things, man. Just and, yeah. and I'm sure he talked to Kevin Hart as, you know, things that come back at you 10 years later. I mean, come on, <laughs> my God. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, I mean, in Galloway, nothing goes away on this as well. Yeah. Nothing goes away. That it, it is, you know, it is, you know, and it is in some ways easier to, you know, go back and you know, do that and use people, you know, when you've got thousands of hours of content, you know, uh, available, you can manipulate things in a way. I'm not suggesting that they, that this is what happened here. I mean, that's, you know, there's just no place for the N word ever really. Um, but you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, that it, this, there are subtler versions of this that exist out there. Like you're saying with like, you know, with Kevin Hart and others that, you know, it's like, eh, that's a little bit weird. Well, the, the thing that, that the positive thing out of all this as we move to the next one is I'm hopeful that what we're seeing happen to Facebook and Spotify yeah. is that these companies, there's some process, there's some backlash or whatever that they need to understand they're responsible for the content on their platform, even though they don't create it. Right. Even though they don't own the content necessarily, but they are responsible right. for anything on their platform. And that's just the way it goes when you become a big old media company. 
Well, that's called editorial, right? Exactly. That's, that's why they it's call it editorial edit process. Oreo. And all of us, right. no matter what size, should have an editorial process. Mm-hmm. And as you get a bigger audience, you continue to refine that process as you know you be, you be build this bigger audience. They save you from yourself. I guarantee you. I have been saved. The fact that I have editors, um, not for this show per se, um, other than our own chuckle-headed selves, um, but for the writing that I do, from you know. 90% of the writing that I do, I have. I am blessed to have editors go, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> bad boy, no, <laughs> you will not say that. And so it's a it's a good thing. This is a good, I'm glad to have it. I'm very glad. Editors are so, and editors <clears throat> are, are probably the thing we think about the least as content. We always think about the creating of the content. We don't think about the right. editing of the content. Yeah, and most of my like, if I I tell anyone if I put out a thousand word or a fifteen hundred word blog, twenty five percent's gonna go. Yeah, it's that's it right. Absolutely should, and if not, then somebody you know we're not doing our job because, you know, we we should be, we should be trimming things whenever possible. That's right. Trim. So there we go. And that's our show for today. (laughs) (laughs) Brought to you by Lawn and Weed Trimmer. Um, All right. Uh, We're going to go to our next story now. And it is coming to us courtesy of BuzzFeed News, um, which is, I'm going to just say maybe the first time that this has ever happened. But um, interesting, very interesting story here. Uh, This came out uh, about a week and a half ago. And basically, the headline from the BuzzFeed News article, which was just flying through a bunch of Discord servers, um, was we found the real names of the Bored Ape Yacht Club's synonymous uh, founders. And basically, the article is, uh, so Bored Ape Yacht Club, if you're not up on NFTs and sort of the whole crypto world and all that kind of stuff, is now, I think, the most uh, valuable uh, NFT collection that has been created sort of surpassing CryptoPunks, um, made famous um, not too long ago with Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton to, of course, you know, <laughs> stalwart evangelists of the crypto community, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton, you know, just yeah. like uh, any club that would have them as members or not anyway. All right. Um, basically bragging about how they had sold or bought their board apes uh, for two hundred sixteen thousand and three hundred thousand dollars, respectively. But now it's there's a whole community. There's a whole thing with Board Ape Yacht Club, and basically it's been uh, valued. Uh, well, venture capital and Dreesen Horowitz has said that the investment would value it at about five billion dollars. The Board Ape Yacht Club. So just think about that for a moment. Um, and the whole thing has basically been uh, created by a few guys, uh, and. To this point, they have been anonymous. They had basically been behind avatars and usernames, and nobody really knew who they were except for some of the very few inside people, obviously, in the company. And so BuzzFeed did a quote-unquote investigative sort of journalistic sort of effort, if you want to call it that. And basically by looking at domain name registrations and company name registrations, sort of figured it out that you know they were two guys and basically named them. Um, and the internet went crazy, um, basically saying that they were doxxed. That they and they came out and basically said that they were doxxed and said, "Hey, we didn't agree to having our publicity, you know, of our real names out there." But BuzzFeed decided otherwise. 
And it seems that opinion on this is really split down the middle. Like, you know, hey, some people are really upset that they had to say who they really were. And other people are like, yeah, so what? That's doing business in 2022. People are going to know who you are and should know who you are. Um, where do you f- coming down on this, Mr. Polizzi, on the whole content sure. creator, uh, marketing, CEO of a company thing? Yeah, I've actually read a few articles on this. And here's what I where I stand. I think that the... Creators of Bay C have every right in the world not to say who they are and to hide behind wherever they want to and have their PFPs different on Twitter and whatever it is. They and and I think that anyone who wants to uncover them and do research on them as part of a news story is also free to do that. I have no problem with either side. So if they didn't cover their tracks well enough. I don't understand how people can say, "Oh my God, how could they? How how could this BuzzFeed news reporter uncover this and show the world who they really are?" What? Of course, that's been done forever. It's called journalism. Right. I, there's is, right. is, is there's a story that interests people here. I don't see a problem with it. There's nobody. Maybe if there was something where those people would get hurt, uh, and if you were um, putting their lives in danger. But I think just saying, oh, yeah, we we did a couple fact checks here, and here they are. What? I don't understand right. the other side. I don't know where you stand on this whole thing. But I think both sides have adequate right to do what they're doing, uh, You know, especially in the United States. It's got no problem with that at all. And and get over themselves. So, yes. <laughs> whatever. I, that, well, I, I think, yes, I agree with you. I, I think I'd probably even take it a step further, which is, you know, um, I'm not sure, you know, th- I certainly don't believe that they should be, you know, fanning themselves going, oh, my goodness, you know, bless me. I'm I'm just all a flutter with people trying to dox me. You know, I mean, I, 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 I don't get the 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 faux outrage here about, you know, getting uncovered. Um you know, by, by, but, but first of all, by BuzzFeed, I mean, let's go, let's just, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you just did an impression of Forrest Gump's mom in, you know, in the movie. Oh that dear. Was well, perfect. it's the Southern Belle, it's the Southern, Lots you know, it's the classic Southern Belle. Yeah. Uh, fanning herself saying, oh, yeah. oh dear, there's war coming. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I, I don't get it. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you either a weren't that clever if BuzzFeed is the one that's uncovering your real name. So you know, the, let's just let's just put that out there for a second. Um, you know, if this is the New York Times or somebody like this, or you know, it's some you know, you know, Woodward and Bernstein, you know, discovering who you really are. Well, then you go, okay, yeah. Then 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 that's that's interesting. But this is BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed found out who you were. It's like it wasn't that hard. It just well, wasn't that difficult. There, and Coindesk did it at the end of this Coindesk article, which I can put in the show notes as well. It says the Bay C founders incorporated their company in Delaware using a personal address. They weren't cypherpunks when they created Yuga Labs. They were writers and lay crypto enthusiasts, which is to say right. they hid themselves more sloppily. Right. They're within their rights to remain pseudonymous, whatever. But reporters yeah. are within their rights to out them. Yeah. I'm totally in agreement with this article. So exactly, a hundred percent. 
a hundred percent. This is this is a lot of this is a lot of uh, of of uh, as my English friends would say, whinging uh, about uh, nothing um, because. Uh, when your company is worth five billion dollars and you have that much, you have that much invested into this is just you know I mean this is there's a reason we put this after the Joe Rogan thing. When you become that sizable and you have started to take that much consumer money, you know th- they have a right to know who you are certainly, um, or, or and 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 you know and you at some level should not expect a right of anonymity. You that is. Not an expectation. Doesn't mean you can't try, um, but it do, it also means that if that expectation is not met for some reason, like BuzzFeed actually goes out and does a couple of Google searches, then you know you should not expect that either. Um, so it's it, I, you know to me, these guys should not be so well, shocked and, 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 let's and just, worried about this. Exactly, and let's just say that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of people journalists. Trying to find out who Satoshi Nakamoto is, the creator right. of Bitcoin. That's that's a whole different thing, right? You know that that person, for a long time, right, took you know great pains to make themselves anonymous. Yeah, you know great pains to make themselves anonymous, and, and haven't and, been heard of in years now, many many right. years. That's so. right. You know, I mean, you know, the fact that <laughs> the first the first link, um, my favorite part of this. Is and I don't think I have the link to share in the show notes. But the, my favorite part of this is that somebody who was outraged—it was one of the people who were outraged. <laughs> this makes me laugh just thinking about it. Basically, posted a link to the article, and then basically said <laughs> that that you know was very angry that BuzzFeed had doxed you know these two guys, and, but then proceeded to share a selfie that he had taken with them at the conference. Oh Basically my saying, god! But now, but now I can share. But now, might as well just go them. full Monty <laughs> yeah, on exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just so. It was like Chef's kiss, so perfect. It's like it's like oh, they had no right to dox these guys, but here, but now since they're out, I can share my wonderful selfie that I took with them at the at the conference. So good. Typical. So so very good. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's move on now, and uh, and and let's get to uh, let's see if we could get to quickly. Let's go two stories here, okay? Really, let's really do it. real quick. <clears throat> um, which the first one is going to be about Amazon, Meta, and Google. This coming courtesy of Digiday.com. Looks like for 2022, these three monsters are going to take 50% of all of the advertising dollars in 2022. Google, Meta, which is formerly Facebook, of course, and Amazon have never been so powerful. Together, they accounted for more than $7 and $10, 74% of global digital ad spending last year. That's just 47% of all money spent on advertising over that period. That's just an amazing, it's amazing incredible. statistic. Yeah. Uh, that put them on track to reach a dominant share of the entire advertising market market this year. It's marked a jump on the influence these companies have had over advertising at the onset of the pandemic. In 2020, the big three platform share of all global ad spend was 39% of digital. Um, uh, it was 39% and of digital, it was 67%. So basically, uh, this is just goes, the article goes on to really sort of look at Google, Meta, and Amazon. And Amazon, by the way, is the big, is the big, winner here, right? They have just been just gobbling up advertising dollars um, and search advertising dollars specifically, and now are the number two search engine really in the world um, in terms of, of, of paid search. So 
you know, this to me is fascinating. It feeds right into my rant, which we'll get into in a bit. But this is it, it, this is an amazing thing that just like it, it just continues and continues and continues. And with Facebook's massive fail of earnings last week, I think it really puts Google and Amazon into sort of a different category than Facebook even. What do you think? Well, I think, I mean, if you if you just go a little bit further and you, you add Microsoft and TikTok and Snap, you're probably up to close to 75%. So this is, it's almost disgusting how much advertising is spent with these few companies. And my take on this is I would love to see like a small business Saturday type of thing where maybe everyone listening, instead of just giving all our money over to these companies, like we continue to do, I'm not saying it's wrong, but we just do it. And you know it. You, you you go talk to the same companies I do, Robert. They spend on search with Google. They spend on Facebook ads because they work really well. Everybody knows we got tons of stuff with Amazon. I would love to say, at least for time periods during the year, us to say, you know what? We're going to support some smaller creators and give some of that ad budget to niche communities. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I actually yeah. think you could be smarter with your money. Than to do, I, th- I think it's something like I saw the average per ad thing. It's like four thousand, three thousand, two thousand. It's like spend three thousand with on one ad to one small community, and work work on something with a creator that really needs it more than giving it to the, the big evil empires of the world. I just I, I'm not asking much. That's what I'd like to see. Yep. It's like on no, this week great- and this year in 2022, stop giving to these three companies and pick a local creator and support them. That's what I want to say. It's a great point. No, it's a great point. Yeah, I I, uh, I heard a statistic. I think it was Galloway who said this, which was which was fantastic. I love this, which is basically if you could figure out a way to break these companies up into a into a means where there was true competition with more companies, it would probably be the biggest small business tax break in the history of you know of taxes. <laughs> Right. In other words, the premium that you're paying because there's only three or four companies here is 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 basically driving up costs of marketing for small businesses because you just it's a tax that you yeah. have to pay. It'd be fa- fascinating. And there's no questioning um, it. Uh, you're right. There's no question. Yeah, that's you right. Just, oh, this is yeah, the, this can't. is the cost. When you when I'm selling a sponsorship yeah. for for uh, Creator Economy Expo, everybody wants to know. Okay, well, what's the best deal I can get? Nobody asks Facebook that. They just pay it. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> exactly right that's exactly right <laughs> not that i'm not that i'm disgruntled about that not that all. you're bitching yeah no not that not you're at bitching all. Yeah, not at all at, okay at all, all right Good. last story here before we get to rants and raves which is uh from eventmarketer.com another publishing brand that i had not no idea existed i'm very interested in this site now um eventmarketer.com has an article and it says th- three brands making metaverse moves with their own virtual destinations and the article opens up by saying you know you've seen branded spaces created in Fortnite and of course Roblox um, and others but now brands are getting into this by creating their own little metaverses then they go through three case studies which is Timberland the you know of course the hiking trail uh, type of company here um, they've launched an immersive digital Tim's Trails experience that takes users on a virg- visually vibrant tour of the brand's history via a mix of storytelling art music and characters um, then there's BMW which has uh, claims to have created its own metaverse with Joytopia. The platform allows users to navigate three ethereal digital worlds, think, imagine, and birth, 
as avatars with a map and signposts to guide them. And then there's SK2 skincare brand, uh, which made headlines with its own virtual SK2 City, a digital world inspired by the streets of Tokyo, where users can explore a bustling urban center featuring the sights and sounds of the city's renowned pedestrian zone. Um, all of these sort of they go into a little more detail of, of each each one. But what say you, Joe, about the brands now starting to use virtual worlds as a, I guess, a means of content marketing? I Yeah. Uh, first of all, eventmarketer.com is owned by Access Intelligence. Great company. Um, I've been following this brand for a long, long time. The title of this article is Three Brands Making Metaverse Moves with Their Own Virtual Destinations. I don't think any of this has to do with the metaverse. Nope. They are. Exactly it's, this, right there. this is this is digital storytelling. You could even call it content marketing, if you will. Although the Timberland one is is steeped in product promotion, but it's just are they? They're basically jumping on the metaverse bandwagon here to get some more play. It's there's yeah, just a storytelling, folks, and they're calling yeah. it a metaverse. This is not this is not Roblox. This is not Minecraft. No, this is not a, a universe role where people games. can have ownership. Yeah, they're not. There's no yeah. ownership here. There's no using a token here. There's no real gameplay here. Uh, so I guess I'm not ranting over there. The, the these three examples of storytelling are excellent. They're just storytelling, folks. It's just content creation. Yeah. It's content marketing. Part of a content marketing program, I would imagine. Um, and great yep, job. They made for a little them. game. But but yeah, yeah no no metaverse game. here. No no metaverse here. No metaverse. A little game. Look, look elsewhere for metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they made a little game. Yes, that's. Fun. They made a little game. Yes, I I watched the Timber the Timberland video, which is fine. It's it's yeah. cute. It's, it's a lovely. good job, agency. It's really nice, agency. You did good. Nice, did. <laughs> nice job. No good metaverse boy. in there. Good boy. Not, yeah, no metaverse. No good metaverse girl. at all. So yeah. I just think it's funny, but that's the way that it is right now when everybody jumping on that's right. NFTs and metaverse and whatever. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are interesting. I, it will be interesting to see if somebody actually does sort of take this to the to the the next level. Um, and, and fascinatingly, you know, I think you know if you want to think about metaverses, right? So one of the things we didn't talk about on the show today was the Peloton. What's going on with Peloton right now? And Peloton getting poised probably for acquisition with their stock, you know, failing as as much as it has. Yep. And, and Amazon the CEO is, is and everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. R- rumored to be the the suitor here. Peloton is actually more of a metaverse than what we're talking about here. With you know, sort of you get you know, enmeshed in that world, their media world, where if you look at what Amazon could do there is pretty amazing, right? Where they could, you know, they could they could go in and you could buy things and, you know, explore shopping while you're exercising. And there's a whole there's a whole world of media within within the Peloton universe that is actually more metaverse like than, you know, uh, than what we're talking about here. But all right. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something. I'm pretty impressed with us getting through all of those stories uh, in as quick as we did. Um, you're going to go first yes. uh, with your rant because I have a bit of, well, let's just say I wrote it down because yeah, so it let's, was let's, I'm enough gonna, of a rant. I'm going to quickly step aside here, but the, I'm, gonna, I'm sharing this. Um, this is a bankless article. I'm part of their community. They do great job on crypto, NFTs, ETH, the whole thing. And this is a story called NFTs with Mr. Fox. And Mr. Fox basically is just it just goes- chock a block full of uh, 
It's just chock-a-block full of... It's all sorts of NFT terminology. And it's by somebody that's really involved in NFTs. And the thing I wanted to bring up that I hadn't really thought of before, I guess I have, but it was very well articulated here, is that what Mr. Fox says here is that value generation is not isolated to holders of a particular NFT, saying that you can be involved in the community, you can create businesses, you can create secondary IP off of this community without actually owning an NFT. And he was talking about like Bay C, which we already covered. Like you, you could create. Uh, so let me see. You could start starting a licensing agency of sorts for board apes is not is just one idea. Imagine you're a video game developer building a new app. How much faster could your product grow if you made the beta exclusive to board ape holders? So basically, what he's saying is there's an audience here around all these communities, whether it's crypto punks, Bay C, V friends, Gary V's uh, NFTs that. You might say, well, you know what, there's there's a community around here and I could build a business just for that audience. I could create you could create a media site or you could create a newsletter just for that audience. It's just something else right. to think about where there's lots of opportunities and you don't have to own an NFT to create something unique and valuable. So I just thought that was an interesting take and a lot of people think, Oh, I yeah. can't afford a board ape. No, it's like, oh yeah, okay, fine. But you could still be part of that community if you wanted to. And here's how. So there you yeah. go. That is, that is very interesting. And I think in many ways, it's, it seems like that's the direction it's going to go, right? Sort of the, you know, the, the super exclusive and then sort of the, the more niche, like, hey, I just want to be part of that community. Um, and, and, uh, and ultimately, you can argue that, that you know, something like Board Ape or those kinds of communities will benefit from opening up their doors to more, you know, to more lower, let's call it lower price of entry. You know, this is this is sort of, you know, the innovator's dilemma in a nutshell, right? But but you, it, it really benefits them to sort of open up the bottom of the pyramid, as it were, and allow more people through the doors because it just builds their community, builds their value. And then it builds the value for if you actually do have a board ape, right? Well, then they're so engaged and they're so invested in this thing. Like if you created a behind the scenes of friends. Are you kidding me that not every one of VFriends holders wouldn't want to sign up for that newsletter? Yes, they would. Right. Yeah, exactly. They are invested. They are all the way in. And Gary V would probably be your best friend. So I'm just... Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I'm going to do that now because <laughs> I want to be Gary's best friend. Best friends. That's so sweet. Best <laughs> friends with Gary V. Oh, my. Oh, my. I'm best friends with Gary Anyway. All right. Um, I have a bit of a rant yes, that let's I'm going go. to go I'm, on. I've been waiting. Uh, I've been it, waiting this, to hear this. This is going to be a bit of a ride, folks. So I, I apologize in advance. Um, but uh, but I got my gears a little grinded, as it were, um, when I was reading these articles uh, this week. And I just sort of started taking notes. And it kind of turned into a thing. Um, so anyway, so there, I guess the rant is in three chapters because um, there are three articles here that sort of go together. And they don't go together at first, but um, you know, I, I think you'll start to see the connective tissue with them, and, and it's sort of a bigger idea here. And anyway, the first one is from uh, the marketingdive.com. By the way, Marketing Dive just a great site, um, uh, and 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 really, I, I I like it very much. 
they did a uh, an article report on the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau, uh, just issued their State of Data 2022 report. This is the fifth year of the, that they've done this report. And I went and actually read the entire report, the State of Data 2022. Marketing Dive does a great coverage of it. So if you don't feel like reading the whole report, just go read the article. We'll link in the show notes and it's fine. Um, I, so I rag on the IAB a lot, but the report is really, really good. Um, they wrote a report. Now, to be clear, the tone of the report is very, very much like that scene um, in Jerry Maguire, you know, the one where Tom Cruise is like, you don't know what it's like for me to be out here for you. It's an up at dawn, pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about. Help me help you. You know, that scene, and, and it's classic because the entire recommendations of the report are help us help you, you know, engage, collaborate with us, build to solve for the universal measurement of ideas. And the reason that they're doing that is because, as the report points out, something that we've been talking about for ever, it seems, is that measurement of marketing and advertising is gonna get a lot more complex without third-party cookies and third-party data. And that's their state of data, right? That's their conclusion in 2022. But their research found, interestingly enough, is that we don't care. The industry doesn't give a shit right now about any of this. Basically, the less than half of the industry leaders that they spoke to feel knowledgeable about this, anything about this really, Google Sandbox, Google Topics, Google you know, third-party cookies, et cetera, and brands even are worse off than just sort of the general population. Brands have the lowest score, and brands even have the worst perception of preparedness. In other words, they feel like, yeah, we know what's going on, but they don't. They don't actually know what's going on. So then the report asked, well, what what are you going to do about this? Right? What are you going to do about this disappearing third-party cookie and identifiers and all that kind of stuff? And IAB weirdly, very strangely worded this question, but basically it was, Nothing. We're not doing anything about it. Basically, uh, less than 50% said anything, really. But those that did say, they were going to say, well, we're going to party with third, you know, partner with third-party industry groups. <laughs> cough, IAB, cough. Um, we're going to spend more money on contextual advertising. We're going to change our approach in attribution modeling, measurement. We're going to look at our CRM data. You know, basically making stuff up, right? By the way, none of it except for one answer, which was increase the focus on developing custom in-house identity resolution. I don't even know what that means. Like it's so weirdly worded, but maybe content is in there or owned media is in there, but don't know. Anyway, bunch of other findings in there that are just really interesting. One of the most interesting I found was that less than half of publishers, media companies, are say that they're co- collecting the right first party data to enable things like audience marketing and those kinds of things. So that's fascinating to me because now that acquisition might not look as good as sort of building something from scratch because not a lot of those publishers are actually capturing the right amount of first party data either. Anyway, all of that points me to this is not a measurement issue. This is sort of the the net net of the report is basically, oh, measurement, it's going to be hard. They even call it the measurement blackout, that you're not going to be able to measure marketing anymore. But here's the thing. Data measurement in marketing has never, ever, ever been about accuracy. That's the dirty secret of data and measurement and marketing in most businesses. It's just about an agreement. We all agree, whether it's my stakeholders, like the brand that's advertising, the CMO who's counting, the board of directors who watch our budgets, 
All it is is that we agree on these are the important numbers. We don't really care about what the meaning and the accuracy of that number is. All we care about is whether that accuracy or that number goes up and to the right. If it, Once we agree on it, it kind of doesn't matter what the accuracy is. That gets us to chapter two, which is, as we talked about, Facebook had this epic fail last week, right? We saw it. I posted on face uh, on LinkedIn actually the idea that it was a little rich right now for Zuck to blame it on Apple, and by the way, they blame it specifically on Apple's IDFA, which is their identification thing. Basically, people opting into being tracked across the web, and basically Zuckerberg said, "Hey, we're going to lose like ten billion dollars next quarter because of this thing, and it's really hard, and the headwinds, and oh, woe is me." And I posted, "This is the biggest example of rented land." coming back to bite somebody that we've ever seen, basically wiping off whatever it was, $280 billion of market cap value. Now, Facebook's ad bad week has already continued into Europe, where Europe basically has lately woken up to this whole GDPR thing and basically said, hey, listen, we're going to kick you out. Like, and, and Facebook's like, well, we're going to leave. And they're like, well, you're going to have to put your data in different servers. And Facebook's like, well, we're going to leave Europe. And Europe basically went, yeah, we don't think that's a real threat. Go ahead. We'll we'll get a lot more sleep if you leave Europe. So Facebook's in no position right now, given their big fail and where they've gone to, to leave. But again, privacy stuff in Europe, whether it's going to come up here in the U.S. with this new bill, all that kind of stuff. Basically, remember, come theme coming back here, the dirty secret, access to the data and measurement around you know all this stuff. It's never been about accuracy. It's just the agreement on what is available to everybody. In other words, as long as my stakeholders, the CMO who's counting the board, the people watching the budget, my brand that's advertising, as long as we all agree that we have the same data, well, then we can spend our time elsewhere not paying attention to this. This is why I think you're seeing that nobody gives a shit in the state of data report from them because we don't care because everybody's got access to it right now. That brings me to chapter three which is there's an article that appears on that marketing dive site right adjacent to the other two that I just mentioned here. And it's about television. And we were just talking about television and the Super Bowl and the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. So there's a big hot and heavy debate going on right now about TV measurement. And this is what sort of inspired me, this whole thing around the idea of measurement here. And what's interesting is that it's sitting right next to this article about the IAB's trouble with measurement. But basically what happens is all these cable television, digital television, uh, broadcast TV, they're all bitching and moaning that TV ratings suck. They're not accurate. And the identification, basically the addressability of audiences are not there anymore. And everybody's like, well, who's going to do it? Who's, you know, should we pick this technology from Oracle? Should we pick this startup technology? Should Nielsen basically come out of the woods where they've been banished for a while to come out of the woods and do this? And here's the thing. If we can learn nothing as digital marketers, social media marketers, looking at digital data, third-party cookies, first-party data, all that kind of stuff, we can look right to this, the TV market. Because in television, especially it's never, ever, 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 ever been about the accuracy of measurement. It's always been. The entire industry of television, from advertising to TV ratings and all the things, has always been built on just a simple agreement. It's never been about accuracy. Nielsen ratings have never been accurate. But we all agreed that it was as good as we could do, so everybody built a billion, multi-billion dollar industry over the top of it. And so the key is, is that all of us arguing over all of this sort of 
access to data and the asymmetry of whether I can get your data or I can get that data, all that kind of stuff is going to keep us in the fog. If, and, and if what's going to happen is we can look at what happened to Facebook and Zuckerberg as a big flag for all of us. If we're a CMO or if we're the head of marketing somewhere, yeah, we might not care today. You may not care today about any of this stuff, whether it's measurement, data, first-party data, because why? You can't even see that it's a problem. You can't even see that right now it's a problem. One of the interesting stats in that state of data report was the fact that actually spending on third-party data has gone up last year. In other words, we're still spending like drunken soldiers on buying email lists and buying third-party data because we just don't care. We don't see it as a problem. But sad Zuck face looking at Apple, that is coming. And we might as well look at that picture of the disappointed Zuck after he lost the largest share of value in the history of the stock market because all this stuff may not catch up to us immediately, but when it does, it's going to be a doozy. So get your first party data house in order. It's not about measurement. It's about existential, <laughs> your ability to do marketing differentiate it and full stop be able to do what you need to do that's the end of my rant all right so what i got from that whole thing was that i gotta get my zero party data in order <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> very there you go very good overview very rant worthy my friend yeah it's yeah it's basically it's not stop thinking about this as a measurement challenge it's because we don't care business has never cared about a measurement challenge this is an existential crisis, opportunity, whatever you want to talk about it, about fully being able to do the marketing that we want to do in the 2020s and, and beyond. It, it, it is not simply, stop making the argument to the CEMO, stop making the argument to ourselves, stop making the argument to publishers, stop making the argument to TV companies. It doesn't, the measurement capability doesn't matter. It's all about being able to address and reach the consumers we want to reach. And if we want to stop giving that tax to Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft and the walled garden ecosystems, we have to get on it. And Europe is showing us the way. And, and it, is, it is a very interesting time. And it is no longer, it, it, is, it is one of those things where it's not going to be a problem until it's a big problem. I wonder if somebody, something like Facebook just dropped from the face of the earth, if it would be like uh, the movie WALL-E, where everyone just woke up and said, oh, my yeah. God, <laughs> but the, there's a pool, yeah. you know? Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, oh God, all right, plans for this weekend? All right. Yeah, uh, big plans for the game. So there's some big game on yeah, that I'm going to be watching. That. Watch that game. Um, it's actually hot here in Southern California, so we'll probably not be going outside too much. Weirdly, it's like almost summer. It feels like summertime outside. But uh, but yeah, big game and doing some work. How about you? Yeah, it's hot here as well. It's uh, 35 degrees, balmy 35 ah, today. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely watch the game. I'm looking forward to uh, to the whole experience as as usual, and hopefully seeing some commercials that are worthy of time. I would like excellent. To, yeah. Like oh yeah. I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah. I'm definitely. Oh, you love the commercials. You love it. We'll, I do. And we'll talk I about do. them. We'll talk about those commercials next week. Hopefully, yeah, we will. There's any we good will. One. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great segue for us to say sayonara. We are signing off. 
Um, we will talk about that next week. But in the meantime, if you want to get all those links that I talked about in my rant or that uh, Joe talked about in his rant and rave um, and all the things that we talked about, get on over to our website to see the show notes um, at thisoldmarketing.site. Um, and you can also check out, obviously, the other 309 episodes that are there. Um, give us a review, if you would. Hashtag us up on the Twitter. Give us those story ideas. Uh, thank you, by the way. Big hat tip to Igor Bialabrotic, who actually sent me over some great, amazing thinking on that rant that I had. And a big hat tip to you, Igor, because thank you for all your great thinking on this, because it's been very inspirational for me. And until we see each other again, folks, well... Just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.